All right. Thanks, guys. I'm so happy to be here. Um, I got to be be here at a, I don't know if it was called Deeply Rooted then, maybe it was, a couple of years ago with you guys. So um, I have such a love for this church family. There we go. All right. <clears throat> um, my husband Travis and I planted a church, I think, about 14 years ago. Um, we were tiny little baby kids, and uh, we were just trying to obey what we felt like God was asking us to do, and um, we did, and we were just kind of on our own. We were this non-denominational little church, and um, it's a long story I'm not going to tell, but through just the work of God, um, he brought one of yours over—nope, not here— um, he brought one of yours extended family members out to California to see the big trees, and they Googled churches in Visalia and showed up at Radiant and then messaged us. And um, through that conversation, we heard about Jubilee. What is this Jubilee? And what is this New Frontiers? I don't know about this. What is all of this? And um, through all of that, we got adopted into your family. It's one of the best things that's ever happened to us as a church. Um, just personally for Trav and I as leaders, um, we have been so blessed by your church family, um, by the incredible leaders that God's gifted you with. They've been such a resource and encouragement and strength and blessing. I'm going to cry, to our lives personally um, and to our church family back in California. Um, so I am always overwhelmed <laughs> when I get to come and be with you all and um, feel so blessed to be a part of this family and just feel so, so much love and such connection in my heart um, for you all. So thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to me for so long. <laughs> Um, I never take that for granted. It is a humbling honor, <laughs> um, and I'm so happy to be here. And I have the priv privilege this time of bringing my dear, precious friend, Josie Shaw, with me. <clears throat> yes. Uh, <clears throat> Josie and her husband, Tom, led a church in Canterbury, England for 10 years, and a year-ish and a half ago, um, moved out to California because they felt like God was calling them out there to be a part of the work that we're doing out there. So we've had the privilege of partnering and leading together for this last year and a half. And her and her husband with a team of others are going to be planting a church in San Francisco, <clears throat> California in June. Um, so we've got a little time left in proximity with one another. And I took the opportunity to bring her with me and ask her to partner in ministry with me for this weekend. So thank you for coming. I love you. And also, before I get started, you guys have have received one of ours, Megan Kukla, right there. Um, she used to be a Radiantite and was a part of the Sacramento church plant and has just recently moved to St. Louis. So I got to see her here, and now she's a part of your family. So this is just so fun, just swapping and sharing all around. I love it. <clears throat> Um, is it like that? Is that a reverberating echo bothering anyone? Is it just a little too loud? If you turn me down a little, will you still be able to hear me? 
Or should I move away from something? Like if I move here, does it make it a little better? Yeah? Does that feel? Okay, all right. There's no promises that I'm going to stay in this spot, though. So, um, All right. We are going to uh, be in Proverbs 31 together this weekend. And this series um, it comes from a special place back home. So I don't know if any of you all have feelings about Proverbs 31. <laughs> Can't imagine why you would. Um, <clears throat> but I find it's a little spot in the Bible maybe most women like to avoid. <laughs> and um, I, I was reading uh, Jen Wilkins' book, None Like Him, and she opens the book with a passage out of Proverbs. And then basically says, like, if anyone had told me at any point in my life that I was going to write a book and it was be- going to begin with a verse from Proverbs 31, I would have punched them in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I think it can, you know, feel very much like a cliche to do women's events and then teach out of Esther or Ruth or Proverbs 31. And I can kind of want to avoid that out of rebellion in my own heart um, or trying to prove something. But <clears throat> when I was 18 years old, um, I read through Proverbs 31 and felt very stirred by the Holy Spirit that there was much more to this passage than met the eye. And I've, I've spent, since that time, 20 years, now you know how old I am, um, like mulling on, on that idea and feeling like there was a message there in my heart within this text, but also feeling like, I could never bring it because what woman is ever going to be like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach out of Proverbs 31. Like, who does that, right? It's ridiculous, especially for me. Like, (laughs) you know, I'm just the, you know, sort of, I don't know, Paul's whatever, phrases about himself, how, you know, of all the sinners, I'm the worst. Well, if if there was ever a candidate for Proverbs 31, it would definitely not be me. (laughs) There's like many items that fall out of my car anytime you open the door. You know, I'm I'm just basically a hot mess for for the most part. She loved to give these glowing, you know, things about my life, but there's a little bit more to it than that. I'm a mix at best. That's my favorite line lately. I'm a mix at best. So I, I, I come to you out of this passage uh, very, like, humbly. Like, this is, this is not... There's never been a day in my whole life where I've been like, yeah, I got this. <laughs> Some of you feel that way. I'm just not one of those. So I think maybe that's why God asked me to get in here. But Proverbs 31 has mixed feelings because people have used it in unhelpful and unhealthy ways to put heavy yokes on women and make them feel like they are not enough and could never be enough. And here's a whole list of reasons why. (laughs) And that's kind of how we've read it. It feels very insurmountable, and not just in like a Susie Homemaker kind of way. Like this woman is legit. 
she's like legit Susie Homemaker, but then she's also like a realtor and like a fashion designer and what else? Like, oh, a farmer? Yeah. She's got like, I don't know, five jobs outside the home and yeah. So it's not even like, oh, I reject that because it's homebound. It's like, no, it's just, no. So anyway, I, when I read it when I was 18, I felt like I read it through allegorical eyes and things just started opening up for me. And I was deeply convinced that there was more to it than I knew. I just knew there was more to it than I knew. And um, I, can, I can kind of geek out on research and I love like Jewish culture and history. And you know, you read the Bible and you, I just like, I just wanna know, I just, couldn't they have put more details in there, you know? Don't you ever feel that way? It's like, oh, I just, is that all you have to say about that? Like, give you a little bit more background or, and so I have a book at home that's like this thick. <laughs> it's all about Jewish culture and all these things. And I was reading through it one day searching. I just knew there was something in there about Proverbs 31. I just knew. But I looked in like all the women's sections and there was nothing there. Um, and then one day I came across it and there it was and it blew my mind. And it was that Proverbs 31 is this, it's a hero poem. The phrase actually, it gets translated into like um, a, a, a woman of noble character or a virtuous woman who can find. But the actual word is valor. And it is the same word that Boaz uses over Ruth when he calls her a mighty woman of valor. And it's the same word the angel speaks over Gideon when he calls him a mighty man of valor. And both of those happen in places where no one's doing anything mighty or valorous, right? The angel speaks that over Gideon when he's like hiding and shaking in his boots. But it is, it's a war term. It's like a war hero term, which is amazing. And it is a Hebrew poem that is alphabetical. Every line is, it starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it runs the full gamut of the alphabet. So it's like this whole picture of this beautiful poetic picture of this incredible woman. And what I found in this little Jewish book I read is that it was something that the men would sing over the women at particular Jewish feasts. And it's something that husbands would sing over their wives before the Sabbath meal every week. It's a song. It's a song. It's a song. <laughs> the 
doesn't that start to change a little bit in your head? <laughs> it's, it's a song. And like I was even thinking about that connection to Gideon and the way that God comes into like our weakest, most broken, most hiding places and declares things over us that are not true. <laughs> right? Because God takes our ladders because <laughs> we live in a world that eats and sleeps and breathes like prove it, earn it, show it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. And we, uh, we work our fingers to the bone because we kind of like that system, right? Because we're in control. I'm going to do it. Some of us are better at it than others. <laughs> I'm not one of those. <laughs> I told you. But God disassembles our ladders, and then he makes them into a cross. <laughs> and then he forgives all of our ugly and fills up all of our empty weak and applies all of his perfection and righteousness to us. And then he sings over us, mighty Woman of valor, mighty war hero. <laughs> when I read that, there was something that ached inside of my heart. Because I'm needy. I keep not wanting to be needy. And I keep trying to work myself out of the needy place. And I keep finding myself back in it. And then I keep hearing myself saying, I just don't want to be the needy one. Does anyone else feel this way? <laughs> but the reality is there's like no escaping the fact that I'm really needy. And we just, we were made to be seen and we were made to be sung over. So when I read it, it's like almost something in my soul, like, <gasps> you know, like I need, I need, I need that, like, You know, you can almost imagine the feast. And I don't know. I don't know how. I actually, I pulled up the song. You can pull it up online. <laughs> you have to search for a term called eshet chayil, because that's the Hebrew way of saying woman of valor. You want to say it with me? Yeah. Eshet. Okay. E-S-H-E-T. There's varying ways I've seen it spelled, but I, this is the most common one. E-S-H-E-T, Eshet, C-H-A-Y-I-L. And I think it is, this is so terrible, Chayil, right? That's kind of, I don't know, it's terrible, but that's sort of, that's the best I can do. Eshet Chayil. Okay, Woman of Valor. You could, you could Google and hear the song. You can just imagine the feast. Like maybe the women are all sitting set in the middle, and the men kind of dance around him and sing, sing the song. Can't you, can't you imagine it? 
oh, I want to be there so bad, you know? Can't you imagine, like, I just, I love these things about, I wish that we still did stuff like this, like Sabbath meals, like candles were lit, and, you know, it was like to represent light in the darkness, and parents, like, uh, blessing, blessing was like such a thing. And every Sunday, like, the father would put his hands on his sons and daughters and bless them and say things like, may you grow up to be like Sarah or Rachel or these mighty women of faith. Like, and they'd lay their hands on their sons and say similar things. Like, just those kind of meaningful, significant traditions, you know? I could just put myself at the end of that table and just imagine, (laughs) it's hard to imagine, my husband singing over me, you know? (laughs) with all my kids standing by, just basking in it, you know? But, you know, it's like, it really touches on this deep place of ache in our hearts. Like, if you're a single woman and hearing this, it's like, I wish that I had a husband who would sit at the end of my table and, like, sing this beautiful truth over me. I wish I had that. And then all of us in the room who are married are like, I wish I had a husband (laughs) who would sit at the end of my table and sing this over me, you know? It's It's just the reality. We have like an ache in our souls to be seen and loved and sang over this way. And if you hear nothing else tonight, I want you to hear this. I want you to imagine your table where you live. The God of the universe who created this whole world, who spoke it into existence and and breathed it into being. The one who sent his son so that we could stand tall and clean before him and have access into his heart. Sits at the end of your table. He's sitting at the end of your table. And he's singing over you. Ashet, Hayil, mighty woman of valor. And he, he sees you. He's not like pretending. He sees, he sees it all, right? More than anyone else, he sees it all. He can see it all. And he's broken down our ladder and made a cross and he's singing over us, delighting in who we are and how he's made us and what we do. He delights in what you do. He delights in your heart and how you love. And he sees how you spend your days. And he's singing over you. We're just going to set aside or maybe repent of any judgments we've made towards this passage in the Bible. 
because Proverbs 31 is the last book in the book of Proverbs, which is one of three wisdom books in the Bible. And it is full of incredible wisdom. And all the way through the book of Proverbs, we hear these different characters talked about. There's fools and crazy ladies and all kinds of different characters. And then we get to the very end of the book, and the whole book of wisdom culminates in this picture of this incredible woman. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? And I think because of our own insecurities and comparisons and fears and whatever, we want to reject it. But the reality is, if you knew someone who was older and they just loved God with all of their being and they had done relationships really well and like you just thought, ah, oh, that's who I want to be when I grow up. Aren't you hungry to be around them? Aren't you hungry to ask them questions, to interrogate them, to glean from them? Like, how'd you do this? And what about this? And how do you, you know? I'm like that. I get around women like that, and I just want to like sponge up everything they to me, you know? Because life's hard. And I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) And none of you do either. Right? We need help. This is help. Like, this is super helpful. (laughs) We need this. So that's our posture. Like, we're pulling up our chair close to the book of Proverbs, to this woman. We're going, life's hard, and I need help. And God, you're saying this is a picture of wisdom. Give me everything you got to give. That's how we're approaching this, this book. Okay? I found uh, an interview on a blog after I discovered it was a song. I found an interview on a blog interviewing this Jewish woman about her perspective on Proverbs 31. I'm going to read it to you guys. It says, Finally, I consulted a Hava, an Orthodox Jewish woman I had befriended during the project. So do Jewish women struggle with this passage as much as Christian women, I asked. Ahava seemed a bit bewildered. Not at all, she said. In my culture, Proverbs 31 is a blessing. Ahava repeated a finding I discovered in my research that the first line of the Proverbs 31 poem, a virtuous woman who can find, is best translated, a woman of valor who can find. In fact, the structure and diction employed in the poem closely resembles that of a heroic poem celebrating the exploits of a warrior. It's a war, girls. We're in a war. We live at war. I, I get called a Shet Hayil, woman of valor, all the time, Ahava explains. Make your own hala instead of buying a Shet Hayil. Work to earn some extra money for your family, a Shet Hayil. Promote it at your work, a Shet Make balloon animals for kids at a party, a Shet Hayil. Every week at the Sabbath table, my husband sings the Proverbs 31 poem to me. 
It's special because I know that no matter what I do or don't do, He praises me for blessing the family with my energy and creativity. All women can do that in their own way. I bet you do as well. I looked into this, and sure enough, in the Jewish culture, it is not the women who memorize Proverbs 31, but the men. (laughs) Husbands commit each line of the poem to memory so they can recite it to their wives at the Sabbath meal, usually in a song. The astute reader will notice that the only actual instruction found in the entire poem is that a husband celebrate his wife for all her hands have done. The praise is meant to be unconditional, but the blessing goes beyond the family. Ahava explains that her Jewish friends cheer one another on with the blessing, celebrating everything from promotions to pregnancies to acts of mercy to ju- uh, injustice to battles with cancer with a hearty, ashet, kail woman of valor. The biblical heroine Ruth is called an Ashet Hayil, in fact, and she's called at a time when her life looked nothing like the life of the Proverbs 31 woman, when she was a poor, childless widow who, far from exchanging fine linens with the merchants, spent her days gleaning leftover grain from the fields. Ashet Hayil, mighty woman of valor. I like it. No, I love it. So I set aside my to-do list and began using Proverbs 31 as it was meant to be used, not as yet another impossible standard by which to measure our failures, but as a celebration of what we've already accomplished as women of valor. Can you believe that God calls himself our husband? Can you believe that He calls us his wife. I was in a conversation a couple weeks ago with a non-Christian who has walked away from the church and was kind of giving me the like, I can kind of get on with Jesus, but the church I don't like, which I've heard a lot of times before, right? And I was like, well, it's it's kind of interesting because you see, Jesus called his wife, his bride. So I think he cares about her like a lot. <laughs> so you, you actually kind of like can't take one without the other. It would be like Travis marrying me and being like, well, I like you, but I really hate your family. So we're never going to see him again. Mm, I don't think Jesus gets into that. I think he's fiercely loyal and committed and passionate about his church, who he calls his wife. So I actually don't think you can be into Jesus and not be into the church. It was his idea. It was his plan A. And he loves her so intimately, so tenderly, that he calls us his wife. So I want you to hear your husband singing over you. We're going to read Proverbs 31 together. And I just want you to sponge it into your heart. We have a husband. We have a perfect, incredible, amazing husband who's singing over us. Proverbs 31, verse 10. A wife of noble character who can find. That's Ashet Chayil, woman of valor. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. 
She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of the money she makes, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She's clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. I kind of want to say right now, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, this, this, uh, came out of a Bible study series we did with our women back home. And it was a six week series that should have been a 10 week series. And now I'm coming to do three sessions here. And I really like thoroughness. (laughs) And so I just have to really let go of that. Um, so I'm just going to say at the outset, there are more messages at, radiantvicelia.com, or you can download the Radiant Visalia app, and the whole series is on there. There's words about marriage and vision and creativity and words and all these things that are wonderful. Um, so you can use that as a resource. Um, I'm, I'm bringing one new message this week out of here that isn't a part of that, um, and tweak some other things because I felt God speaking certain things to me for you guys. So I'm just bringing three words out of here (laughs) for the weekend. And there's lots, lots of incredible parts of this we're not going to get to, and I just have to let it go. All right. So I just wanted to say that from the beginning. So this woman, this picture of Lady Wisdom, the culmination of this incredible book of wisdom summed up in this account of the life of this woman. And wisdom is something that is eroding. Would anyone else agree with me? Um, And I feel like it's something that people are becoming more and more desperate for in our day. And it's something that we desperately need. Um, Wisdom is a spiritual thing, I believe. It's not knowledge or information. It is from God. It is powerful. And we really, really need it. Uh, Proverbs says that it's counsel for the stumped. It's strength for the weary. It's warning for the proud. It's mercy for the broken. 
Um, and in the book of Proverbs, there's a call to wisdom, the value of wisdom. It says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth. I'm going to add, only from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you. And I just think of... Um, the story of Solomon, how he's come in to replace this incredible, mighty King David. He's this young man, and um, I'll never get over this. God comes to him and says, what do you want? What if God came to you and asked you, what do you want? Can you imagine hearing God ask you that question? And Solomon thought about it and said, um, I want wisdom so I can lead these people well. Like he knew I'm out of my depth here. Like I have a job in front of me I'm unable to do and I need wisdom in order to do it. And because God was like so delighted by that answer because he didn't ask for money or possessions or whatever, army or power, all these things that would have benefited himself. So he said, because Solomon asked for wisdom, he gave him wisdom and the other things as well. <laughs> so Solomon becomes this crazy guy that has crazy wisdom, and people from all over the world are coming in to seek counsel with him because he has wisdom that comes from God, and he has a bunch of other amazing, amazing things as well. But I always think of that. Um, I always think of that story. This is a rabbit trail. Never mind. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> so 1 Kings 10, 24 says, The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. And we are living in a world desperate for wisdom. This week, I was in a conversation with someone who is way more successful than me, way more educated than me, way, way smarter than me. I have to look up words he says because I don't know what they are. And he was saying, I went to this prestigious thing. I got invited to be a part of this interview with these crazy smart professors. It was a total honor, incredible restaurant, wines flowing, conversation, like everything I ever wanted, basically. <laughs> and I went back to my hotel room and felt desperately empty. And he just looks at me like, do you have anything to say about that? And this is someone I, I work with once a week, and every week I drive, I'm praying, Lord, what do you want to do today? Fill me, Holy Spirit. What do you want to say? So he just looks at me. And I said, well, we were made for intimate relationship with God. And if we don't have it, we look for it 
anywhere else we could find it because we're desperate. And nothing else ever, ever can touch that deep place. No marriage, no career, no child, no promotion, no amount of success, no amount of money. People that you think you don't have any place to speak into their lives are desperate for wisdom that comes from God. They're starving for it. And we're desperate for it too because we just need it in order to do life. Wise Christians, wise churches become radiantly attractive. And the Bible says to walk in wisdom towards outsiders because more people are won to Christ by beauty than by rules. And when you have the wisdom of God, the world will take note and draw near, just like the whole world came seeking counsel from Solomon because he had something from God they desperately needed. Proverbs 3.13, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Proverbs 4.7, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Whatever you get, get wisdom. You're going to need it. Get it. Proverbs 8.11, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Proverbs 16, 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Proverbs 24, 3, by wisdom a house is built and by understanding it is established. Proverbs 24, 14, know that wisdom is such to your soul that if you find it, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. Who needs this? I do, sign me up. I need this. How do we get it? James 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Who gives generously to all without finding fault? <laughs> Woo! And it'll be given to you. Well, that's pretty easy. What the heck? So that's one of the things that we're doing is we're coming to this and we're going, God, our world and our hearts desperately need your wisdom. Can we have it? <laughs> Please, we're asking for it. Thank you, Lord, that you give generously to everyone. No one is left out and you're not fault finding in order to see if we deserve to have a little bit of it or not. Thank you, God. Ray Ortland says, in our chaotic lives of constant stop, start, stop, start, short attention span, mental habits, with an endless stream of momentarily visible Twitter feed fragments of information. I'm going to read it again because it is like the best sentence I've ever read to sum up the way life feels right now. In our chaotic lives of constant stop, start, stop, start, short attention span, mental habits with an endless stream of momentarily visible Twitter feed fragments of information, we have been reduced to one splinter factoid after another, and we are trying to patch together some kind of elegant whole worth living. That is difficult. <laughs> 
But the problem is not just that we are fidgety and distracted. It's that our information, however much we have, and we have more than we have ever had before. And people are hungrier than ever for wisdom. The problem is not just that we're fidgety and distracted. It's that our information, however much we have, is no basis for a life. We need Jesus to rescue us from our information. Can I get an amen? Amen. And even from our knowledge, can I get another amen? Amen. We need Jesus to counsel us with a new and yet ancient wisdom that comes from him. Then we can live. That is what is at stake here, our living rather than our dying. And Christ speaks to us for our living calmly, patiently, lovingly, seriously through the book of Proverbs. This works when we deliberately slow down and listen and think and journal and pray. So how do we get wisdom? We ask for it from a father who's already told us that he's super generous, that it's for everybody, and he's just going to give it. That's awesome. Also, Proverbs 9.10 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And you'll notice in this poem about this woman of valor that the poem culminates with basically the highest praise it gives her throughout the whole thing is that she is a woman who fears the Lord. It's like the pinnacle of praise. It's the best thing that could be said about this woman, that she's a woman who fears the Lord. And I don't know what comes to mind for you when I say God-fearing woman, but for me, it's like Marilla Cuthbert. And I hope that I'm not so old that half the room does not get that reference. Anne of Green Gables? Okay, come on. Anne of Green Gables is forever. There's never, ever a generation that should not know about Anne of Green Gables. Not the new, not the new show series, though, no. The original book, original movie series. Okay, all right. It's a rite of passage for a woman, so if you've never seen it, it's your homework assignment. God-fearing woman, Marilla Cuthbert, Tight, tight bun. (laughs) Never smiles for a picture, you know? Black clothes. I don't know. That's what I think when I hear that phrase, God-fearing woman. But I have heard that before my time, that was a term that was used all the time. Is this true? My grandmother told me this, so it's true. That was like... That was like high praise. Like to refer to someone as a God-fearing woman was like high praise. But that term's kind of, it's kind of lost on us now. I've never said about anybody, she's a God-fearing woman. But now I would be delighted if anyone ever said it about me. (laughs) It's high praise. And the reason why we can talk about fear without thinking of punishment is because we belong in Christ. So 
that's all been dealt with. We don't fear punishment. So the fear of the Lord shouldn't conjure in us any, you know, images of punishment. That's not what it's about. The punishment's already been taken care of, and it's out of the way. Jesus dealt with that for us, so we don't have to fear that. has been a hard term for me to get my head around. And the simplest way that I have come to relate to it is to uh, say that it is awe and reverence for God. Want to hear what Wikipedia thinks it is? Popular opinion. A specific sense, I think they get it right, actually. A specific sense of respect awe, and submission to God. The fear of the Lord as the feeling of significance derived from, from the contemplation of God's great and wonderful actions and creation. It is awe and good trembling. It's respect and submission. It's, wow, you're big. Whoa. I'm small. You know? I want to tell you guys a story. I want to tell you guys a story of an, of a, of an, an experience of the fear of the Lord for me um, this year. <coughs> we had a family from India, a pastor and his family um, were out in California on sabbatical staying with us for a month. Um, and while they were with us, um, Trav had some comments that a friend had said to him, um, and they were really hard for me to hear. And I took offense to them, like immediately. And I fell asleep, and the next morning I woke up, and it was like I woke up right to them. You guys ever do that? funny little way offense has a funny little way of doing that and so does unforgiveness and so does bitterness and so does all of these things so I wake up to like these phrases right there and I'm driving my kids to school and I I, I can feel the swirl starting to happen and the conversation in my head. How could they say that? And after all the dot, 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 and the bop, 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 and the bop, 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 right? And I can feel myself spinning out. And I know because I've done this before. <laughs> and I've lost, like, I've lost years. I've lost years of my life to spinning out loops of, unforgiveness or offense or whatever it is. And it ain't fun and it ain't life. And I do not ever want to get stuck there again. Like I do not ever want to see years of my life preoccupied with that kind of thing. And I could like feel it starting to happen, like feel it beginning to take root. And I was driving home, and I was like, Jesus, save me from this right now. Like, I feel hurt by this. I feel offended by this. Like, 
I don't want to take this on board. Like, I don't want to get stuck here. Please save me from this. Save me from this. And I, and I, I like, <laughs> we're hosting a family from India. So I like can't even talk to Travis, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> so I walk back into the door of my house and I'm still very much wrestling. And Trav goes, um, hey, Tiff, Vinu and Julie want to um, pray and worship with us. And I'm like, great. All right. That's what we're doing now. We're going to worship. We're going to pray. So I go sit down on the couch and Trav gets out his guitar and we start singing the songs and I'm still like on the inside of me trying to fake it on the outside of me. <laughs> and um, Vinu, who I love very dearly, um, who sounds like an Indian Morgan Freeman. <laughs> like he has just, right? The deepest, like he should be a movie narrator, the deepest voice. Um, he interrupts worship and says, can I share something? And we're like, yeah, sure. So he opens up Matthew and he starts to read this story out of Matthew that um, I know I've read before, but um, it didn't feel like I had ever read it before. And the story was about this uh, woman who uh, was trying to get Jesus' attention. And Jesus was um, busy uh, with other people, but this woman was bringing her um, demon-possessed daughter to Jesus because she was desperate for her to get free. And so the disciples, they go to Jesus and they, they say, you know, this woman over here. And he says, um, I came for the lost sheep of Israel. He's reading this story and I'm like, what? Is this real? Like, I, <laughs> like Jesus said, like, he came for Israel? Like, that's not true. He came for the Gentiles too. Why is he being mean to this woman? And um, he, then he says something even worse. <laughs> he says, why would, um, why would I take, I'm, I'm botching it a little bit. Anyway, something like this, you'll forgive me. Why would I take my food and toss it to the dogs? <laughs> what? Did you ever know that Jesus called a woman a dog? All the feminists in here should be up in arms, <laughs> right? I, I was like, oh, whoa. And this woman says, she says, even the dogs, even the dogs could eat the scraps that fall from your table. And Jesus turns to her and says, woman, <laughs> you have great faith. And her daughter was healed. So Vinu reads this cute little story. 
in his Morgan Freeman Indian voice. And I am like falling apart. And he's, he turns and he says, Tiffany, I believe this is a word for you. <laughs> really? That's funny. He says, this woman, and I had not talked to him at all. He did not know what was going on in my heart. I was doing a super, superb job of hiding it, right? Uh, he turned to me and he said, um, this woman refused to be offended. And because of that, she was healed. And I had this moment with God where I will never forget this for the rest of my life. It feels like a, um, it's like an altar for me, you know? I said, Jesus, you can call me whatever you want. And you could call my husband whatever you want. <laughs> like, where else can I go? And I just, in my heart, surrendered, submitted to the fear of the Lord. I said, God, if this is words you wanted to give at this time in this way, I receive them from you. Like, if this is from you, I receive it. Do whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want. I don't get to decide what the timing is, or how the message comes. Like, does that feel, do you make a connection with that, with the fear of the Lord? Does that feel like it's connecting? Okay. When we lose sight of the bigness and majesty and sovereignty of God, that basically there's nothing that I can ever do or can be done to me that is outside of that umbrella, right? So that means he's always with me in it. He's always going to use it. And so even if, even if it comes from an enemy, right, we can still be surrendered and submitted in our hearts to God in that and say, Whatever you want, however you want. When we lose sight of that, when we lose sight of his big love, his big sovereignty, his big power, his big provision, his grandiosity, <laughs> when we lose sight of that, when we take those glasses off and we start walking through things like this in life without that, things get crazy. And then we start putting that that we need on other people who are not able to handle that yoke. And we end up crushing our relationships, crushing our spouses, crushing our children, crushing ourselves, crushing our friendships because 
there's things that we need of security, of power, of you have me, God. You have me. There's, there is that need, deep need in us of you have me. No matter what I'm walking through, you have me. That if we are not living in, we start doing this. You don't have me. You don't have me. You don't have me. You don't have me. That's what starts to happen in my heart. Like, if I am not living in the, you have me, (laughs) you have me. If I have lost sight of that, then I start going, Trav, you don't have me. Friend over here, you don't have me. Like, I start requiring that of people who cannot give that to me, and then I start injuring those people for requiring that of them. Jen Wilkin, in No One Like Him, says, I want us to consider the majesty of a limitless God. I want us to meditate on his perfections so that they become to us the rational object of our reverence and awe. And along the way, I want us to stare down our tendency to ask others and even ourselves to be what only God is, Lord, please deliver us from this. Life is too short and too precious to spend fearing the wrong things in the wrong ways. I propose we learn holy fear for a God like no other. Only then will our fear of man be put to flight, our self-adulation be laid to rest, and our hearts be turned towards worship. I want us to become God-fearing women in the truest sense of the word, to take our stand in gladness at the foot of Mount Zion, offering true worship to our Father in heaven, and in so doing, we'll make a beginning at becoming wise. When we walk in the fear of the Lord, it delivers us from all of our other fears. It trumps all of our other fears. One of these passages in Proverbs that I was like, what's that about? Was this one in verse 21 where it says, when it snows, she has no fear for her household for all of them are clothed in scarlet. Well, what's that about? Are scarlet clothes warmer than other clothes? <laughs> when it snows, it's a time of barrenness, of no fruit, of minimal resources of waiting. When it's a time of lack. Time of snow, winter. There's no buds on the vine. There's no birds in the air. There's no blue skies. When it's gloomy, She does not fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. 
there is a reference here to um, the Passover story where scarlet blood was put over the doorpost of the house and the spirit of death came through and passed over that house. There's a reference here to the scarlet cords that were hung in the window by the prostitute where the army made a promise to her, anyone in this house will be safe. Anyone in this house will be untouched. There's a reference here to Abraham sprinkling the blood in the tabernacle. She does not fear because she's clothed in scarlet. We have this incredible reality as daughters of God. We have these incredible promises that when it snows, which it does for every person living on this earth, when it snows, when the winter comes, when there's no food coming up out of the ground, when we're in a season of waiting, when the skies are dark, (laughs) when there's little provision, we are clothed in the blood of Jesus. Psalm 91 says, you who sit down in the high God's presence, this is the message, spend the night in Shaddai's shadow, say this, God, you're my refuge. I trust in you and I'm safe. That's right. He rescues you from hidden traps, shields you from deadly hazards. His huge outstretched arms protect you. Under them, you're perfectly safe. His arms fend off all harm. Fear nothing, not wild wolves at night, not flying arrows in the day, not disease that prowls through the darkness, not disaster that erupts at high noon. Even though others succumb all around, drop like flies right and left, no harm will even graze you. You'll stand untouched. Watch it all from a distance. Watch the wicked turn into corpses. Yes, because God's your refuge, the high God, your very own home. Evil can't get close to you. Harm can't get through your door. He ordered his angels to guard you wherever you go. If you stumble, they'll catch you. Their job is to keep you from falling. You'll walk unharmed among lions and snakes and kick young lions and serpents from the path. If you hold on to me for dear life, says God, I'll get you out of any trouble. I'll give you the best of care. If you'll only get to know and trust me, call me and I'll answer. Be at your side in bad times. I'll rescue you, then throw you a party. (laughs) I'll give you a long life, give you a long drink of salvation. Doesn't that sound so good? These are promises that we have in the snow. We're clothed in scarlet. We have access to things in Christ that others don't. So we don't have to go through snow freaking out because of all of these things that God has promised to do for us and with us. Okay. If we're, if we're looking at anything in our lives, anything, the news, the political landscape, the 
incredible, horrible violence that keeps happening in our nation, if we're looking at anything, I mean, that's not even anything under our own roofs, and we're all facing all kinds of things under our own, our own roofs. If we look at anything and we say, whoa, if anything woes us more than we are woed by God, we're going to be a slave to that thing. If there's anything that woes our hearts more than we are woed by God, we're going to be a slave to that thing. Similarly, if there's anything that wows our hearts, <laughs> wow! If there's anything that wows our hearts more than we are wowed by God, we'll worship that thing. And this is, this is how I sum up the fear of the Lord. Whoa! Wow! Right? It's that, it's, that, it's that holy tremble. It's that reverent awe. Wow. Wow. And it's that. Wow. 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 I mean, wow. Do you ever say that in worship? Sometimes I do. I'm a weirdo. <laughs> Whoa! 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 Seriously! There is no one better than God. There is no one who's looked at us the way He looks at us. There's no one who's done for us what He's done for us. There's no one who loved us like He loves us. Whoa! You know? Whoa! There is nothing. Nothing better than knowing God. Wow. Whoa. Whoa. You know? So I just I just want to bring our hearts like back to a place where maybe for the first time or just maybe again because we just we just have drifted. Our hearts have drifted away from like whoa. Whoa. You know? Because there's, no, there's, nothing, there's nothing better and more incredible and amazing and awe-inspiring than God. There's also nothing more scary and intense and, whoa, you know? I mean, and, and you know, I don't know. We just, we, we hear about the stories where people saw some part of him or, and like, you know, like... <laughs> I mean, incredibly godly men, like incredibly godly prophets and that just couldn't even handle like seeing like part of him that like went from saying like, woe is you, woe is you, woe is you to saying, woe is me. Like, I am a man of unclean lips. You know? So, Father, would you come and would you woe our hearts in the best possible way? We just, 
we give room for you to be as big as you are. We're sorry, Lord, where we have shrunk you down and boxed you in. You are limitless and so much bigger and more powerful than we could ever possibly imagine. Your presence is so intense. We couldn't even, we couldn't even handle it. <laughs> I mean, people just had to lay down or take off their shoes or just couldn't even handle your presence, Lord. Become big to us again. We want to be woed by you, God. We want to be we want to be wowed by you too. Lord, become big to us again. Wow our hearts again, God. That nothing would wow us more than you wow us. That nothing would woe us more than you woe us, Lord. Can I read a little, one more quote? It's from The Wind in the Willows. And it's when Rat and Mole go looking for the baby otter and they stumble into the presence of God instead. It says, suddenly the mole felt a great awe fall upon him, an awe that turned his muscles to water and bowed his head and rooted his feet to the ground. It was no panic terror. Indeed, it, he felt wonderfully at peace and happy. Rat, he found whisper. He found breath to whisper. Shaking. Are you, are you afraid? Afraid, murmured the rat, his eyes shining with unutterable love. Afraid of him? Oh, never, never. And yet, and yet, oh mole, I am afraid. Then the two animals crouching to the earth bowed their heads and did worship. Lord, let that kind of awe fall upon us.